Hello, welcome to the Elevate Database Show, Episode 9. We are here to explore current topics in data visualization, share our creative inspiration, and the tools and techniques that we are experimenting with as practicing information designers. Today, we're talking about the topic, how to prep for a freelance jump today. So if you have a full-time job, what could you start doing right now to put yourself in a good position to jump to freelancing in the future? Or not, but if you're considering it, what's something that you could be doing today? I'm Ali Torben. We have Duncan Gear, Gabrielle Marit, and Will Chase. Before we jump in, the show is supported by the members of the Elevate Database Learning Community who get the opportunity to watch and ask questions live during the show. And if you'd like to do that and you want to level up your database skills in a supportive community, you can check about check out elevatedatabase.com. And we are doubling down on community in 2023. And to make that a reality, we've greatly reduced the price to $10 a month. So if you've been curious about joining, this is the perfect time to check it out, elevatedatabase.com. Okay, welcome everybody. We've had a little bit of news in <laughs> around lately about all these layoffs and tech and everything. And honestly, there's been a lot of people talking about, hey, maybe I should be getting ready for a freelance jump or if it's by my own decision or, you know, being forced into that decision, needing to make some extra money. So we are talking about kind of what you should start doing while you're at your full-time job, little breadcrumbs that you can you can place down to to prep yourself for an eventual jump. Uh, so I think it would be great if we can talk about what is one thing that we did do as a an employee before we made our jump that we're glad that we did. And then it might be interesting to, talk about something we wish we had done <laughs> with the information we have now, what would we have done? And Will will have a really interesting perspective too, because he did consider it and did prep himself in some ways and then chose not to because he's at Axios right now. So You're it'll be a really interesting show, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wanting people to know, like, we're not pushing freelancing on you. Like, Hey, we know for sure you're going to do it. This is what you need to do. There's a lot of paths and that'll be really interesting to, to talk about. So uh, let's see, Gabby, would you like to go first? What's something that you did before you jumped to freelancing that you are really happy that you did? And, um, and maybe you could give yeah. like a very quick potted history yeah. of like when you went freelance. I was, I was how... going to say that. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. So let me circle back a bit. Um, I was, for those who don't know, I, my, my background was in scientific communication and I was transitioning into design. And the condition around being in the US on the visa that's linked to what I was studying, which is design, um, was to work in design. And so I couldn't find an information designer job position, especially in LA, it, especially like what, seven years ago, it just didn't exist almost, or they didn't hire people who were on a visa, which is a complicated situation. So I took a brand design job uh, and I, I took several brand design jobs. So that was the context. I was doing a lot of branding. So things that are completely different and not information design. And I had full-time jobs that were pretty busy uh, on that. Pre busy, but not stressful. Um, and so I didn't know that I was going to be, like I never meant to be a freelancer. It just happened. 
<laughs> uh, I wasn't let go. I decided to quit. But what happened is I was working for this firm that, you know, ethically I wasn't aligning with. And there's a point where like right before pandemic, I was like, I think I'm reaching a point where the values that, I, you know, the conflicts and values just not working. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to drop like I'm just going to be like, you know, I just I just can't do it anymore. But simultaneously, I had discussed quite a bit that I was transitioning to like former um employers like the NIH in France uh, and people around me so people knew I was transitioning so I guess it's kind of like one of the big thing that I you know lesson I learned is that the more you speak about it especially mm. to especially if you're transitioning from even another job in other field completely you have contact that may not have a part of the database not be familiar with but it's a great way to get your first client of people that already trust you like you've gained a certain respect from them so that was probably how this all started is that I actually started to get just inquiries through like former colleagues that were like, hey, I could use like a infographic for the key numbers of, you know, um, these programs I have, or I can use a database for this press release talking about molecular biology. And that's kind of how it started on the side of um, of of my full time job. And then eventually I was like, well, I'm not making as much money as I would do full time, but also I'm dedicating like just a couple hours here and there. So when I quit my job, I was just like, I'm just gonna do this for a minute and and then probably get another job when that fails. And it didn't fail. So, <laughs> so I guess I have a lot of things that I said oh you could do, but maybe the number one I think is talk about it and just like, you know, and you don't it's great because you don't have to say I'm now an information designer. It wasn't like that. It was like I want to do this weird thing. I didn't even know information design. I was like, I want to do this weird thing that's communicating science visually and, and data visually, whether it's a database graphic, whether it's a PowerPoint, whether it's a report, I have those knowledge, you know, just in case you ever need me, I'm here. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I also cost nothing because I was a beginner. Um, <laughs> so that's my advice. Just start with just sharing where you're at and what you're looking for, I guess. Yeah, it seems like uh, if you frame it as, hey, I'm interested in data visualization. I'm really passionate about data visualization. You don't have to get out there and say, I'm freelancing as a data viz consultant. You know, you yeah, can, absolutely. you can just you don't talk have to say it. that you're freelancing. Like, mm -hmm. I guess another lesson from it for me is that people tend to think of like full-time freelance. Most of the time, what I recommend to people is doing full-time plus freelance and it is more work. Not everybody has um, the privilege of being able to do that. Like if you have a family, if your job is really busy, but the idea is if you're actually meant to transition to freelance, this is your priority. So maybe you put less effort in your full-time job and you, and that sounds unethical, but I think that's totally okay. Maybe you transition that you like slow down your activity, you slow down your efforts towards your full-time job, because that's not what you're aiming for. Um, and you, you know, you put more effort into signaling to your network, to people, you know, that you may be, you know, changing. And also there might be opportunity within your own job of mm. transitioning because part of my first infographic were made as an employee as part of those like scientific communication offices yeah i think oh sorry go on go on will no no i was just going to emphasize that because that's like the number one piece of advice i give to everyone is the like the gradual transition thing because uh you know doing that like while you still have the safety net of a full-time job will set you up so that once you do you know like let's say then you do decide you want to do full-time freelance and quit your, uh, your day job. Um, you've already got, you know, you're not like starting from scratch because getting those first clients is going to take a long time. Building that network is going to take a long time. Like lining up projects takes a while. So the ramp up of like 
going from nothing to having like consistent work takes a long time. But if you, you know, gradually start that runway while you still have the safety net of a full-time job, then it's a much smoother and less stressful transition, I think. Um, financially included. Yeah, 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 in every, in every aspect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a nice way to look at it is just kind of like about establishing a presence that's independent of your mm -hmm. job and your company. Mm -hmm. So you, you establish just the fact that you are an individual on the internet. And, you know, to start with, you are an individual on the internet who happens to work in this job. But then later on, you're an individual on the internet who doesn't happen to work on that job anymore, you know? And that's a, that's a, like a lower, that's a smaller gap to jump, I think, than, mm. you know, in other people's minds, in your, in your audience's minds, essentially. Um, so yeah, start establishing a little bit of more of a presence that is independent of your regular job. If possible, maybe like, and I know that this isn't possible in all jobs, but in, if you can, then try and maybe like, I don't know, set, set up like a little blog or a newsletter and document something that you've worked on recently in your job and, you know, talk about what it was like, something that you're proud of. And yeah, start like stashing some of that documentation away because it will be useful later when you want to create a portfolio and, you know, do all the other stuff that you need to do as a freelancer. Yeah, it's so interesting. I would love to hear you, you take Duncan, but it's interesting because my most of my freelance work was like network based somewhat. But then I think a lot of it secondly came from Instagram because I was doing, and I was doing this thing was for fun. I was like, I want to do data visual, data illustration collage. Like that was my thing. I was just like, I don't care. I'm just going to do it. It wasn't for portfolio. It wasn't to get a job. It wasn't to get clients. It was just like, this is what I believe in. This is the fun of it. And it just happened. Yeah, it was to for become, fun. Yeah, it was for fun. And I mean, I believed in it and I wanted to learn more. And it accent by sharing that, it became like a inquiry pipeline but it wasn't meant to yeah. be so that's a really good point of like it doesn't have to be a client project to be legit it can be your yeah. own things it can be within what you create within your organization and what you learn for it yeah yeah i mean and i think that that's actually really really important to just like if you are experimenting publicly then have fun with it. Like do stuff that you are enjoying because you're going to do so much more of a job, better job on something that you think is fun. Mm -hmm. You know, whether the subject matter is something that you're into or it's an interesting process or a process that you're enjoying exploring with. Um, you know, people will be able to tell that, that you are into this. And if they can tell that you are into it, you're much more likely to get hired later, like down the line. Mm -hmm. So yeah, go out and have fun. This is your permission to spend time having fun. Yeah, someone sees online, hey, this person is really into this database thing. They're really passionate about it. And they mentioned that they do it on the side or that they are interested in learning more about it or talking to other people about it. I should, I should ping them and see see if they, you know, like that's the kind of thought process people have when they see, have, see something that you put on the internet. If you don't put anything out there, then you're not going <laughs> to have less chance of, you're not going to exist. Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to exist. But actually I Duncan, mean, yeah. that, that, that's, I really like that point. The thought, just changing your thinking and maybe tweaking some things like maybe your Twitter bio, your LinkedIn bio to, I work at X company, you know, doing Y change it just slightly to be like, I'm a whatever, the, a why. A, a wire. Yeah, a wire. <laughs> <laughs> this is my why. <laughs> and um, because when I was working for, uh, at, you know, just as an employee, 
that's what you did. And that really was my mindset, but I really don't think like that anymore, obviously, since I'm freelance, but um, it's such a huge mindset shift to think of yourself on the internet as um, the person that works at X company, but you really do need to uh, put yourself out there as an independent person. And that really helps bring you to uh, into the freelancing world. Define yourself by what you do, not by who you do it for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Can we put this on a t-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, I was going to say, that should be like one of those, you know, inspirational posters that goes on the wall in your <laughs> office or something. <laughs> I'll embroider it onto a tea towel. Yeah, put some flowers it. around it. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of live, laugh, love, we'll have that one put right up on the wall. <laughs> well, for me, I think the saving, saving a few months of uh, expenses is really important, as we said. Um, and even just going through the exercise of kind of what the minimum amount would I need to make to cover my expenses, just so you wouldn't have that number in your mind. So when you make that, make a jump or, um, you know, as you're beginning to make the jump, you know what your client load needs to be like in order to, to survive um, being out in the freelance. And one important thing that I did um, when I was still working for X companies <laughs> um, was the podcast. And that was really, I started it. In What's order- your podcast, Ali? Yeah, People podcast might not know. Database Today. Yeah. But um, I started it as a way to learn database, but kind of looking back uh, after the fact, you know, connecting the dots, it was a really amazing way to make connections and mesh myself in the database community. And that really helps, you know, making connections is uh, the number one way you get freelance work. People hire people that they know, like, and trust, you know, so if they need to know about you, they need to trust you. And being constantly putting information out there um, really helps solidify my thinking about uh, Dataviz process and everything. And But it also gave other people a chance to see how I think. So looking back like that, the starting the podcast was a huge um, a huge asset when I jumped into full-time freelancing. Can, Can we... you talk a, a little bit quickly about like how long ago this was and, and when you started saving and when you knew you wanted to go freelance and yeah. just a little mm-hmm. bit about that, that process and how you went through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so my path was a little bit different because like I, uh, injected caretaking in there. So I had kind of competing priorities, uh, through my transition. So I had a full-time job as a data analyst, stopped working when I had my second daughter, uh, for about a year and a half. And then I started, um, working part-time again and I was trying to figure out, so I was an employee, but working part-time. So it's like, oh, 20, 25 hours a week I had to work, um, but in seat kind of a deal. And, um, I had the part-time schedule so that I could also be flexible with my kids. You know, they were young, trying to uh, schlep them around for all their um, doctor's appointments and play dates and <laughs> part-time work best. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, what, what, um, what is the minimum amount I would need to be bringing in for freelance before um, I could quit this part-time job? And I... Um, Uh, Let let me back up. I started the podcast as a way to learn data viz. 
And that was even before I was thinking about freelancing. I just wanted to get a job as a database designer. So I started the podcast in order to learn database. Um, and, and that's a great example of what we were talking about a minute ago about, you know, establishing a presence independent of mm -hmm. your company. You know, you started your presence, you know, around this podcast. You mm -hmm. know, you became a, a sort of figure in the database world around that. Yeah, you're right. An independent independent person from I, it wasn't affiliated with any kind of company or anything so it was just mine that I that I had and I controlled um and uh let's see so your question was why I started the podcast and then um yeah it was just a way for me to share my learning and looking back that really helped me with the freelance jump so <laughs> that's a, a pro tip um and it doesn't have to be podcasting it can be blogging um, it can be like Gabby said, sharing your your experiments and things that you're doing on in Instagram or Twitter. So it can be or newsletter. Yeah, newsletter. Newsletter is even better. I think. I think that that's um, definitely the way things are going because, as we have seen, you don't have control over <laughs> social media um, all the time. So uh, newsletter is definitely a way to go. Can I go back to? saving money in advance like should we oh, yeah. do a round table i'm just kind of curious because i've heard a lot of things in the freelance world of how much you should have like how much did you all save before moving to freelance so meant to save or like what was the was there anything was there a specific amount like i don't know i'm kind of curious to hear the round table like how much would you think would you advise people to save i saved three months worth uh was it three it was three four something like that and the actually one of the more important things or maybe equally important was I was keeping track of how much freelancing money I was getting on the side. So I was doing my part-time work. And luckily, since I was part-time, I did have more pockets than someone doing full-time um, in there to do projects, to data viz, uh, freelancing projects. And I was keeping track of how much I was getting every month, how much I was invoicing every month so that I could see their trajectory. And it was like, okay, it looks like I would be able to, if I just did this full-time, I would be able to um, increase this the my monthly amount enough to cover my expenses and so um it was more of thinking about um what's the word like momentum momentum is that the right word i'm trying to see if i have enough momentum to keep myself going within the next like quarter you know like three or four months i was thinking okay this looks like i have enough momentum to get myself like you know uh, over the three month hump <laughs> <laughs> and then I have some savings on top of that. So I kind of looked at it in terms of momentum and savings to assess my risk. Yeah, I don't know. So when I was preparing for freelance, it's hard to say, like, I didn't think of it in terms of like how many months, because at the time I was saving for a down payment on a house, this house that I'm now in. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> So I had a lot of savings at that point, like more than I would have ever needed. You know, I mean, I think if I calculated out like monthly, I don't know how much it was, but it was like, I will be totally fine. But it was also, I don't want to really use, I don't want to have to use that money, obviously, because this was for an important purpose. So I think like the, um, I'm very like financially conservative too. So like the calculation I think I made at the time was with my husband, it was like, okay, if I quit now, could you support both of us 100% just on your salary? And it was like, yes, that was possible. We would have been eating rice and beans every night, but like, you know, let's say, 
let's say everything goes catastrophic and I quit and then I don't get any freelance jobs at all and I'm having zero income, like, would we be homeless? And so the answer was no. So I was like, okay, I can do this. Worst case scenario, we will still have a house and be able to afford food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on my end, it's all a bit confusing because I went freelance at the same time as moving to a different country and starting a master's degree. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was kind of like all, it was just like a massive life changer. This was more than 10 years ago now. Uh, so I guess that probably makes me the the longest serving freelancer among mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I had some savings at the time. I don't think I ever really like calculated the amount that I would have because, you know, I was. It, it was kind of designed that I would, you know, I saved the money so that I'd be able to pay my rent while I was studying. And then oh, I mm-hmm. kind of was like, well, and, you know, I'll be able to get some freelance work on the side of that, hopefully, be, you know, which will then give me some spending money and and so on. And so it definitely wasn't like a formal calculation or anything like that. I, you know, had some money to pay my rent for a while f- during my course, but then I didn't really know kind of what was going to happen after that. One thing that I did do before I left the UK and moved to Sweden was uh, I was working at the time for uh, Wired magazine and I persuaded my editor there to give me some freelance work, basically writing like news stories on the weekends. Hmm. And because I knew that I would have time on the weekends and I would be studying during the week. And so being able to get freelance work for a while guaranteed from my previous employer where, you know, we knew each other really well Mm -hmm. and it, you know, wasn't going to be a problem. Um, You know, that was something that I was able to count on to some extent. So rather than sort of saving money, I kind of got a gig (laughs) in advance, I guess, like a a reasonably long, long running gig. It wasn't paid super well, but I mean, you know, nothing in journalism is really paid super well, Mm -hmm. to be honest. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it, it definitely kind of like tidied me along for a bit. And yeah, and I kind of knew that other stuff would likely come over time. And it did. It was one of these like, I trusted the universe a bit and the universe, you know, came through a bit. <laughs> you know? So it was all okay. Yeah. No lottery tickets, but you're fine. No, exactly. You know, it, it <laughs> okay. like, all cool. It was going to work out. No problem. <laughs> Well, that's, that's a good point, though. That's something we didn't mention, maybe, is that the alternative to this whole, like, start really gradually while you're at your full-time job and get a client and then, like, do this and save up, the alternative to all of that is, like, just land a big client or, like, a big project mm-hmm. and make sure that you have, like, a contract signed so you know, like, okay, I am... Maybe it's a long-term thing, but maybe it's just a, a fixed, you know, like three months, but you're going to make a lot of money mm-hmm. off of it. So, you know, like, okay, I have three months of like guaranteed this amount of income. And during that time, I can, you know, like in the background, do all the sort of setup tasks, you know, start sending out some feelers and set up my portfolio or my website and, you know, figure out my invoicing and my business stuff. So the the other sort of like launching pad, I guess, to making the jump is just, I got a really big client or I got, Mm. you know, a long-term contract or something that I could rely on. That's an interesting point. Wait, just waiting for, or like actively 
searching for, but then waiting for the point to quit is when you mm -hmm. get that client that gives you the momentum yeah. Bump yeah. that I was talking about. And, and that's the kind of thing that you would get through an existing network or yes. something like that. You know, you would have to, it would be difficult for you to kind of advertise openly that you're doing freelance work. <laughs> I'm looking right. for a well. giant contract, everybody. Right. <laughs> no big deal. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, it, it's hard. It doesn't usually just come out of nowhere. But like a lot of times when you're first starting out, you know, even if you've sort of like made it known or you, a lot of times what happens is you've done like a very small job, you know, that was just sort of like, or a personal project or something pro bono for someone that you know. And then, like that first client sort of comes out of nowhere sometimes, you know, you can have a long time where there's just nothing. And then like all of a sudden you just, this opportunity lands in your lap and someone is like, Hey, I have like a big project and I would trust you with this because I've worked with you before. Or like, I know you from something, you know? So mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> sometimes having that, you know, that thing that just appears is like the, the signal that, okay, it's time. Yeah, I, I want to come back to this, but there was also one thing that I wanted to add to the, the my experience stuff that I think it's probably important to acknowledge, which is that I live in Europe and that's a kind of a different situation from doing the same thing in the States. Like I have much lower regular outgoings, like, you know, expenses from Healthcare. my home, but I pay, but I pay a lot more in tax, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that makes it easier to kind of like go freelance because you... Uh, yeah, I mean, you're kind of like, by paying the tax, you are creating social security for yourself. Um, so that when you do jump, you don't need to hit quite as high an income threshold, potentially, mm. that as, as you might if you lived in you know, a part of the world that doesn't offer those things. So yeah. yeah, it's kind of, you know, swings and roundabouts sort of situation. But For Americans I hear, the tax is actually not that different. I just there's this <laughs> myth going on about the tax in Europe being really high. But actually, when you come from Europe and you leave here, it's the same. Like, it's not, it's actually not that low. Um, so I was going to say the elephant in the room as well is, is health insurance, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The I vast think, majority yeah, of Americans exactly. get their health insurance through their employer. And yeah. so like, that was the other big factor that was like, oh, my husband's salary could cover. But the, yeah. the really deciding factor was he has a job and I can get health insurance through his job. Yeah. The cost of life and health insurance, I think overall is the main differentiator. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gabby, did you say about your, the savings for you? Oh no, um, I'm in a scarcity mindset type and I saved the whole year in advance. Hmm. I was just, I couldn't, I don't think I could bear the idea of going a free month. Also because I didn't have any social security net. Um, my husband wasn't making enough for, to support the both of us, uh, healthcare, like none of that. And also the instability of being, um, having to also pay like some visa legal fees. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, it was really important to have that safety of be like, I can afford to not potentially have zero client and obviously reduce my, you know, outgoings, like reduce my life to just eating rice every day and not going out. But I would be able to make it for a year. I, I didn't even have to eat into my savings or touch it really. Mm -hmm. um, I was looking at that at work. But to me, it was just to, because you'll see online that it's free month, but I actually think that in the US, it should be more if you don't mm -hmm. have some someone or something that can support you if things go a bit wider. Also, because by experience, I knew that for me getting a, a full-time job again, if I needed to, would be difficult because I was on a visa, knowing how long it had mm. taken me in the first place. So yeah, I had that, that in mind sense. of like, it had taken me three or four months to find something that would allow a visa 
holder to work for them. So it, I had less flexibility of like, I can just get a job tomorrow. That that wasn't on the plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, sh- I should underscore too that the um, having the savings is great for you know, reducing your anxiety, making sure like you're going to be taken care of, but it also gives you a little bit more leverage to say no to red flag clients because you jump to freelance and you're like, I only have a month's worth of, uh, expenses. You're going to say yes to anybody who comes your way and turns your life into a nightmare. And that's not Mm -hmm. the, not why you are freelance. You can go and have an employer who will be a nightmare. Yeah. Should we transition into what we wish we had done? Where we didn't go through, who didn't go, Will, Will didn't do. Mystery, right? <laughs> I didn't do. Is that um, going to be different? Kind of? I don't know. I kind of talked about it got, a bit. But yeah. We got out of order. <laughs> we, we, yeah, I mean, this is sort of turning into a less structured conversation, but yeah. maybe that's okay. I mean, one, one thing I think I will say is really important. And yeah, I suppose I didn't, I, I kind of did this and didn't do this because I was signing up for a master's degree at the same time is, is basically having a plan for what you're going to do on a daily basis, like make a to-do list for yourself, like long in advance of like thing like ways in which you are going to fill up the suddenly empty days. Like mental health is like a super difficult thing to handle as a freelancer and when you've suddenly got lots of empty days and you're sending emails to potential people and you're getting no replies things like that it's really hard it is tough and so if you've got things that you can be working on you know be that making a good website or building up a portfolio or a podcast or a podcast or Mm -hmm. you know some courses to like build your skills in in things that you want to to work on you know maybe that's coding or something like that like that is going to really make it easier to stave off the anxiety that is a huge part of going going freelance so yeah my number one pro tip is have a plan like make a plan and you know at least follow it a bit like you don't it, it may be that two days in that you know, monster client lands in your lap and in which case, great. But, and, and then you can throw the plan out the window at least for a few months or whatever. <laughs> but I think it's, it's really important to just like make that plan because that is going to really, really help you feel less terrified about the whole process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I guess I'll say my bit in terms of like what you should do off the back of Duncan would be, I think, Part of, I think the the most important part of a plan, I would say, or like a very important part of a plan, because this is the number one question I get asked from people once they like actually get into that world is figure out like, what is your plan for how you're going to make money off of clients? Like how much are you going to charge? I mean, dollar amounts. So like, let's assume tomorrow you get the call and they're like, great, what is your hourly rate? You know, have an answer for that. Um, and have an answer for like the business side of how to do that. You know, how are you going to collect that payment? Um, are you going to like, you're going to have a contract. You should have a contract. Um, and then to, (laughs) to dial that back also, don't worry if you like make mistakes in that regard, because, um, you know, I get, we get so many questions, um, like these 
things are difficult to know, especially if you have no answers. And so the best way to find out like how much should I be charging someone is to ask fellow freelancers. Um, that's a big part of what we do in Elevate. We have lots of articles about that. A big part of our pitch is transparency. So if you ask us how many dollars did you charge this client, like assuming we are legally allowed to tell you, we will. Um, <laughs> and that's one of the biggest things that I answer to people. But the other thing that we always say is like, Pricing is really difficult. All of these things are very difficult, these business things. And there is oftentimes <clears throat> not a single right answer. And all of us have made big mistakes in this regard. And you will also make big mistakes in this regard. And it's totally fine. So it's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm still worry. making big mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone still does. So don't worry if you're like, you know, oh, they asked me how much and I said this and I think it was way too low or, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> it'll work. It'll all average out, right? <laughs> yeah. You'll live, you'll learn. Um, you'll get better at estimating these things, but like, you know, you can be freelancing for 40 years and you're still going to make big, you know, mistakes in quoting clients and things and have, you know, weird contract stuff where you didn't give them tight enough details on the edits and it's going to turn into a whole thing. Like all of us deal with that. No one is perfect at these things. So mm -hmm you know, just treat it as a learning experience. And, and that's probably important to factor where in when you're doing like the financial planning part of it as well, you know, just factor in that you make a few mistakes on that and things run a bit long or, you yes, know, things you running charge long. or, mm -hmm. yeah. Or yeah. starting late, right? It's like, I've, yeah, got a starting project, late is... I've got a project next month and I said no to work because I had this project and now it's starting a month later and now I have to work <laughs> this month. That's, yeah, projects slip all the time. That's a good way of like to, to the rate conversation. For me, what became really difficult is I didn't have you guys at first. I was, it was just me and I didn't have, I didn't know where to find people who were doing freelance and people who helped me do that didn't really help because they told me to charge like ridiculous amount of money, very low, like way below what I should have charged. So it took me a long time to recover from that and I'm still working on it. Um, and so I think a good way to estimate even an hourly range is simply to ask, like, how much minimum do I need to make? Like, if you, you know, how much do I need to make per year? Decide how many weeks you're going to work or how many hours per week you're going to work, like, over the year. Add a little bit of extra for those, like, extra projects that are going to take a little longer because it's likely that you're going to underestimate. And that would give you a good, like, hourly rate that you can, or daily, which at first, I think is the easy way to press a project. Even if you press project base, like five database, how much you have in at beginning, we can get into a whole like conversation about pricing, but at the beginning, when you have no clue, the easiest way in your mind is to be like, how long is it going to take me? And how much do I charge per hour? And you can do that by just knowing what's the number you need to reach per year. It's as basic as that. And that would leave, probably you're going to end up in the range that you're looking for overall as an average, you're going to end up, you know, where you need to be. Yeah, if you can about, ask other people, because you can yeah. also ask other people. <laughs> thinking about how many clients you want to have for the year, too. If you think about, oh, well, you know, my thing is doing these, I make um, a couple charts for a couple hundred dollars, right? Okay, well, divide that by how much money you need to make in the year. And we're talking about hundreds of, like, how are you getting hundreds of clients? You know, so just thinking, like, doing that simple, simple math, it gives you, like, oh, yeah, okay. So I should be looking for projects that are in this kind of range. And um, so when someone comes and asks you, hey, can you do this for me? You can think, well, I mean, I'm going to have to have like 100 of these kinds of clients this year to, 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 
be able to pay my rent. So <laughs> just doing that really yeah. simple math, we're not used to thinking about that kind of stuff when you're an employee, but thinking about that really helps. Yeah, it's really interesting bringing up that sort of mix of clients question. Um, and I'd be interested to hear from you all on what your ideal is on that, because kind of on the one hand, if you've got tons of tiny clients, there is so much like payment, advertising, ad, uh, not admin. advertising, sorry, admin, mm -hmm. invoicing, like all of that is like a really, really big overhead. But if you're just working for one client the whole time, then it's also like... I think a lot of the reason why people want to do freelance work is for a bit of the diversity for being mm -hmm. able to kind of like work on lots of different stuff. So figuring out the sweet spot between those two things for you is, uh, is a really interesting question. I right. mean, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear from you. Like wh where, where do you like to be on that axis? Can I just add something really quick? Is that if you only have one client that pays you full time, you're an employee. Yeah. Or you're not getting the benefit. <laughs> and of you it. were let's so make, easy to let go. <laughs> let's make that very clear. Like, do not do that. Like, I mean, you don't have do a that, whale. Like, if you have a project base for like three months, you are available full time for clients. Perfectly normal. But if you have like a full year setup with no project base like objective, you are an employee. You just don't get the with benefit. no benefits. Yeah. Yes. No. So just not. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my opinion on this is that like, obviously, like, you know, it's obviously better to have clients that pay you lots of money, right? Like you want the big client that's going to actually pay you. Um, I mean, the, the trade-off, there's like several trade-offs. I would say like one trade-off is sometimes those big clients are like, they're more difficult to deal with. They have more restrictions. They're not maybe aligned with your mission. Um, and so there's lots of reasons why like you would be interested in taking smaller clients. Maybe it's just like a really interesting job and all those, all those reasons. But I think the other thing is that like, it will not, you can't like bank on landing the big client, right? Because there's a lot of competition there. Like everyone wants to do that. They're looking for, you know, really experienced people often. So you need, like, you're not gonna, it's very rare that like out of the gate, unless you're already some big shot who's like really well known that you're gonna land that client. And so like in the beginning of freelancing, I was doing a lot of like smaller clients and, you know, I'm talking like really small, like individuals and people that were, you know, like less than a thousand dollar jobs and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, I'm, I'm still doing a lot of that work and, and you know, mm -hmm. and it's fine, you know, I enjoy yeah. doing that kind of stuff work. Stuff you like, right? Right, yeah. yes, that's true, stuff exactly. Like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, this was always stuff that I liked doing. I didn't do anything that sounded like it was gonna be a nightmare and paid $500, you mm -hmm. know, that was not, <laughs> I wasn't gonna take that on, but, um, but then, you know, like there was a big like, oh, okay, moment when I think I got my first big client and it paid like, you know, it was not even like, oh, this is going to be a nightmare and a ton of work. It was like a couple months of work and it paid like 10 times my entire previous income from all freelancing I had ever done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, okay, this is how you make money. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you would want to pick Oh, money. I did this wrong all along. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you, okay. You don't just do like a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars there. <laughs> like, I know it just, you know. if you, the, yeah, that's the thing is like, no, we're not used to thinking about that. You don't realize, oh, an extra thousand dollars. Yeah. That's great. If you already have a full-time job, but if you think mm -hmm. about doing this full-time, time you are it's a volume play <laughs> yeah 100 clients through the door this year like that sounds like a nightmare yeah. so yeah. you really do just really need to just shift your mindset on that math
It takes yeah. time though to do a point. Like it takes time to land those bigger clients. Like I'm reducing yeah. my number oh, yeah. of clients every single year. So last year I was like 42, which is wild. Mm-hmm. Now I'm at 25, still wild. My goal is to be around like 12. You know, I feel like that's good. Yeah. You know, and also in terms of scale, that doesn't mean it's like 12 huge clients. It could be, to me, it would be more like one or two really big clients, like several month projects, you know, around like, you know, more like a 20, 30K project, like two of those, and then three or four medium projects. So in the like around 10 or under. And then like the tiny project, which I love, which is more like the data illustration campaign stuff, which sometimes are just a couple of thousand or hundred because those are for social good and, and, you mm-hmm. know, for nonprofit, and it absolutely can't afford otherwise. And the big project feeds to smaller project, like, and it's yeah. a balance overall, and, and, and it's easier to handle timeline wise. But yeah, I've done the thing of, I mean, my experience is having a lot of really small client, 35 of them, and that's completely exhausting. It's a lot of mental load. Like yeah. Three every switching. month. Yeah. That's, no, I'm that's telling crazy. you, it's at the same time. It's wild. Like, just don't do it. You know, like, yeah. it doesn't work. It's not I, a I good just, idea. There's a lot of I just of counted mine up and, and I did 18 last year. And, mm. uh, you know, that maybe that's on the, a little bit on the high side, but that, you know, feels like a comfortable place for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like everybody's, you know, pointed out, I think don't, it's not like, oh, I should feel bad if I don't have, have that big client. Like that takes a lot of time. Like, you know, those smaller clients and like doing kind of just whatever comes your way. Like that's part of sort of like putting in the work of freelancing because, you know, that big client that I got that was like the aha moment. I don't think I got that until after like a year and a half or a couple years of freelancing. So, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, again, I wasn't full time. So this was part time freelancing, you know, just moonlighting, but. It, it took a long time to, you know, build up that network and, and establish the reputation that I was able to land a client that was that size. Yeah. And a lot of times, a lot of our big clients have come through agencies too. So making connections with people at agencies is a great thing because they can bring you the big, the big client and say, you know, they're taking a cut of it, of course, but you know, they're bringing it to your doorstep. So that's worth something. <laughs> yeah, um, and you get to work with other people as well. So um, making connections with agencies is good to get medium well, to big projects. So, so I think people watching this might not have any idea what the data viz agencies around mm-hmm. are there. Can we name some? Yeah. Uh, Infograte. Um, Graphicacy. Graphicacy. Um, polygraph. Yeah, freelancers, right? Yeah, they put out a call um, for freelancers. Superdot is one of them. And then which one is the one that's in England, in London? There's another one in London. Oh, yeah. Um, Signal noise. Beyond Words. Oh, Beyond Words. Beyond Words. Beyond Words. And mm-hmm. um, I have another one. Domestic domestic streamers. Domestic, domestic streamers. They do more like, I don't know if they took freelance. This is just like data stuff that I have. <laughs> An agency. Some yeah. of them I know and I've been in touch with. Some of them I haven't. So most of them I have been in touch with somehow. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah. There's yeah. Um, Periscopic as well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then these data agencies. And voila as well, right? Oh, yeah, voila. Mm-hmm. Some of them work with freelancers, some of them don't. But, I mean, you don't never know unless you ask. There's also, yeah. to be to, to be fair, this is data viz agencies. So they usually have in-house um, people on top of that. So they hire, like, us when they need, have specific needs. Um, but creative agency as a whole really have data viz people. So mm. even today, 
I have my like analysis of 2020 in front of my eyes, but uh, I think to me, yeah, that's like 42% of my business is from creative agencies. So, mm. and that includes some of the database people, but mostly they like marketing agencies, design agencies, and they do like more bigger branding, bigger campaign, and then they know nothing about database. So they hire people just for their specific project. And a lot of those clients came from your Instagram. Is that right? Yes, I mean, I can look at it if you want. I haven't published it yet, but um, currently I actually think it's more Behance nowadays. I have okay. I had a switch okay. from year like last year to this year, two years ago to this year. Now it's it's more Behance than anything else, which is a success for male marketing because I wanted to get more creative agencies because I have yeah. bigger budget. So I doubled down on Behance. Okay, so that's good for people to know. If you are more on the design side, you could really plug in well with a creative agency. Sharing your work on Instagram and Behance might be a good way to kind of get your name out there. Will, could you talk a little bit about like the data journalism end of things when it comes to being a freelancer? Because I think that there are definitely people who will be watching who are more interested in that side of things. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think the, to be very honest, I would not count at all on getting like any freelancing jobs at actual like large newspapers, let's say, right? So like the New York Times is very, very unlikely to hire you to do data viz freelancing for them because they already employ like 50, you know, top-notch data viz journalists mm -hmm. um so and a, a lot of places just aren't set up for that so like here and there you'll see like oh but you know Nadi Bremer did this one thing for New York Times well yeah but you know that's that's a very rare um thing to happen and so it does happen there are cases where you know um every you can find a few examples here and there but I wouldn't count on it um, but the same type of work is much more likely to be published at um, more like uh, smaller tier publications, whether they're digital or magazines, or it's very, very likely like the most, you know, data journalism freelance work um, is in basically like making data stories for companies. Um, through an agency. Like, yeah, like blogging, yep. content marketing type thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people are interested in that. Yeah. I, I think uh, going back to the previous thing, I think there are two ways that you can look at it in my experience. You could go uh, smaller publications in terms of they are focused on a specific area. Like I think mm -hmm. sports publications is probably a really good place to look for this. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, publications about anything, yeah. specialist publications and also local publications. You know, mm -hmm. if you go to your local newspaper near where you live and you've got a great data story about your local area, you know, they might hire you to, to report it. Basically. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I have actually a good example of that. I, public got a data story published in Arlington magazine around here. And that led to my first client because that was some <laughs> a real estate agent saw it and he was like, uh, you know, maybe I could use your services. And so that was my first, like some small projects. Mm -hmm. um, but something that I did or that I did do, uh, but as, as I was doing it before I made the jump, I, it was more forward looking. And <laughs> I would change it to be more backward looking. So I was, before I jumped into full-time freelancing, I was taking small projects, right? Which makes sense. Um, I was trying to make 
um, money and <laughs> get my momentum going. Right. But what I really should have been doing is looking back at those projects and constantly think, okay, what did I like about that project? What didn't I like about that project? What did I like about this client? What didn't I like about this client? Um, mm. And also thinking about how I could streamline my processes, like a little bit of a retrospective. After yes. Project, yeah. Basically. And think about, okay, well, a lot of my time was spent setting up meetings. Maybe I should set up a Calendly so I can just shoot over a link and people, things like that. Maybe I should have a template for a contract. When you do those small projects, you are just like slowly honing in on who you want to serve, what you want to do for that person and um, how your process works. So it's less of like, you know, a baby deer on <laughs> the fr its first day when you go into freelancing, <laughs> like you're like legs all wobbly. <laughs> mm -hmm. You've you done know, it before. Yeah, we'll say that if it's like you can't prepare in advance, sometimes you don't know what you're gonna need, especially if you're a little naive like me, you just don't like, like proposal, what is what are those? Mm -hmm. um, but with time, if you find yourself repeating things, like you're always in the proposal, you're in the deck, you're in the case study, you always need ha spending time emailing like dates for meeting is nonsense. So mm -hmm. maybe you need something like, you know, Calendly that does it for you. Mm -hmm. um, so, but this takes, again, I think it could be stressful when you start being like, oh, I need to have all those things set into place. Some people work this way, uh, but you can also do it. Yeah. Either you do it like quarterly, you revise what you've been through, or mm -hmm. if you're a bit more like me, I build in time, meaning every time I'm starting to repeat something, I'm like, there has to be a better solution. And on the go, I'll be like, okay, today I need to put this into place because this is taking me too long and I'll take an extra three hours to do it right there. So that's done. Mm -hmm. um, and on the longer term, you 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 build those processes and, and system thinking. Um, but it's a good point. A lot of people, a lot of the freelancers non-paid work. So a lot of it is marketing and admin things. So that we forget when we think about how much we're getting paid for the what we don't realize like, oh, I can work, which is my problem. You can work 40 hours a week of client work, right? Not crazy. But then you're gonna have 15 hours of admin to do on the side of email exchange of you know, marketing of figuring out the meetings of yeah, sending, sending the, the invoice. Proposals. Yeah. And none of that is paid, um, at least by the client. So you have having a meeting with potential future clients, like inquiries. a lot of time, <laughs> the mm -hmm. nightmares of inquiries, the, the emails you get saying, Hey, can I just pick your brains about this? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, There's a lot of, there's a lot of overhead. So taking, just having a little doing little projects and it can be something unpaid, like maybe it's a volunteer yeah. thing or something, but just be thinking about what did I like doing on this? What I didn't like doing, you know, aspects of a good client for you and um, ways that you can streamline your process. Mm -hmm. I wish I had paid a little bit more attention to that and not just been thinking like, Oh, I'm making some money. How much money am I making? How close am I to the jump? You know, like yeah. getting a little bit out of the money mindset. Yeah, I think yeah. figuring out what your what your success metrics are and, mm. and making sure it's not just money. Yeah, yeah. I love just one tool that I use specifically when you're unaware of your hours. If you were like me and you had no clue, um, clock it, clock in and out, like just clock it, clock every project, including mm. admin tasks. So mm. I think that's one of the things that we forget. We're like, well, you know, it was approximately forty hours, really, it was sixty-five, and that's a big difference in rate. Um, so to me, I clock systematically when I work on client work, including admin tasks, I clock it. And at the end of the year, I have this Excel sheet that tells me you spend 65 hours, the budget was this. So your rate was, you know, 
95 bucks an hour and i'm like well that's not what i want i want it to be higher so to me also also give me a sense of making better being more aware of how long things take if they're faster mm -hmm. and be more fair to the client or be like i actually have to charge you more because that's that's more fair to you because it's going to be bigger than you think or i have mm -hmm. to tell you less because i realize i'm overcharging for this thing it's regard that's when you still price on like not hourly or project based and then there's a whole value based pricing that's completely different but just at first i think even to me today it's very useful i have like this analysis finance analysis at the end of the year where you were talking about earlier like how many clients where did it come from how much did they pay and how much time i spent on every single one mm -hmm. um and doing that repeatedly is really really useful yeah and you can start mm -hmm. you know you can start right now <laughs> do, <laughs> do a project yeah um I thought not to be like not to not to end on a on a negative note, but I thought I would add, maybe we could end and I would talk a little bit about why I didn't go freelance full time. Mm, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So there was a time I was working at Fidelity. Um, I had it was a great company, great boss, great colleagues. You know, the work was not terrible or anything. It was just not like super exciting what I wanted to do. And so the reason I was thinking of going freelance is because I wanted creative freedom. So I wanted to be able to work on more of the types of projects that I wanted to work on. And then I wanted more resources to work on those projects. Cause I could, you know, I'd done personal projects in the past, but I wanted like a platform to publish them on. I wanted like, you know, illustrators and fellow designers and developers to help collaborate on these projects. So I wanted to have the resources to do more bigger and better things. Um, and Ultimately, I think I still may have gone freelance just because I was not really satisfied creatively at my job if I hadn't gotten the job in journalism. But, you know, the, the offer came up of like full time job in journalism or go freelance. And so mm -hmm. um, the big things like the big factors were that the things that I wanted, which were creative freedom and then like, you know, collaboration, more resources are not something that is guaranteed in freelance. And so like if you're thinking I want to go freelance because I just want like to be able to do whatever I want and I can just like pick my clients and, you know, and then choose how I'm going to do each project, you know, it's going to be so great. And I'm going to be, they're not like, going to have any feedback. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yes. On the one hand, you won't have a boss telling you what to do, but like, on the other hand, you're going to have a limited set of client inquiries that you have to choose from. It's not like you can just choose, Oh, I want to work on this, big, crazy project. Um, and when you do get those clients, like they're still your boss, ultimately, you know, usually, yeah, you're getting to do more creative stuff and you get a little bit more input. They're hiring you because they want your creative input. Um, but they're still going to have a set of requirements that they want to meet. And they're still going to have a lot of their own feedback. Um, and so, you know, you shouldn't go into freelancing, I think, imagining that you're going to be like, just this, you know, creative solo genius doing your thing. Um, <laughs> and that's the other aspect of it. A lot of times you will get to work with really, um, really awesome collaborators and, you know, in-house people or, you know, work with an illustrator on a project, but you are for the most part solo, you know, so you, you have to be like comfortable working on your own. Um, even if you you can you know develop a network of collaborators and people to sort of feel like you have colleagues i think ultimately at the end of the day you have to be like comfortable and expect that you'll spend a good portion of your time just working on your own yeah 
Those are very wise words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, I think it's it's like the warning. You're going to yeah. be alone. <laughs> yeah. Having said that warning, freelancing is still wonderful. I love it. Yeah. It's still amazing. You get so much freedom, especially freedom of your time. I think that's the biggest mm -hmm. thing that you get. You know, you're, yeah. no boss is telling you you have to be here at 9 a.m. every day. If you yep. want to take a, you know, a couple of weeks off to go do a vacation, you just do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and you wow. don't have to worry about office politics and, yeah. you know, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> just all the kind of just like nonsense of, of all of that. You are your own boss and that's there are pros and cons of that. I mean, and, and also, you know, here's the thing. You can go freelance and if it doesn't work out, you can go and get another job. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it is a reversible decision. So if this is something that you are tempted to try, and you've got the resources and support to try it from, you know, your family and, and everything, then try it, you know, give it a shot. And, you know, it's, it's okay if it's not for you. Like, it's fine. That isn't a failure. It's yeah. just it didn't <laughs> work out for you. And that's all right. Mm -hmm. Hard agree. It also yep. doesn't have to be one or the other, like Ali was doing for a while. Like, you can have a part-time job, a full-time job, and take freelance client from which I did for a while like I have a full-time job at Pentagram and I'm still doing quite a bit of freelance and that's my choice like I, I love yeah. it it gives me that freedom that we talk about so I think there's a lot of ways it doesn't have to be black and white it can't it can really be you know something in the middle that fits the way you'd like to work I think we all have different experiences I think Duncan has a part-time Kind yeah, I, I work 50% time for one client and they are based in the UK. And if I was in the UK, they would employ me. But because I'm not, they hire me on a freelance basis. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a weird, it's one of the many gray areas in between. Um, but yeah, I really like, you know, the, the, the mixture of being able to work with, a, I've been working with them for two years and it's just great to have a kind of team. Um, and people doing the things that I don't want to do, like writing social media posts and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but then, you know, the other 50% of the time I can work with whatever clients that I want. So it is a, I really like that, that mixture of sort of having some consistency with one client and like a few regular gigs, but then a few, you know, a bunch of just sort of one-off opportunities as well. Yeah, that's it's real, great. real spectrum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, doing being able to do a little bit of both is nice. All right, we are just about at time. Maybe we can do just a quick recap of what can someone do today to start getting ready. So we talked join about Elevate. Join Elevate. Join <laughs> <laughs> The marketing moment. We will help you. <laughs> also, after you join Elevate, start networking, telling people what you want to do, what you're looking to do. Um, share, share your process, either podcasts, blogging, social media, um, do the math. So how much money, how much runway do you need? What's a, what's momentum look like to you? Uh, save your money so you can tell people, you know, I I'm busy. If it's a red flag client, <laughs> you don't have to take on, um, bad clients, um, do little projects. Uh, so, and really focus in on what you liked about it, what you didn't like about the client, what you did like about the client, and just how you can streamline your process a little bit better. Anything else? Did I get everything? I mean, I think it's just like the value of planning. You know, even if things mm -hmm. don't go to plan, it is still valuable to plan. Yeah. Yeah. And just right doing that math. You might think you know what the math is, but I have found like, okay, I actually wrote this out and it's it's different than I thought. But yeah, also, I, I think 
planning but you don't have to plan everything i guess i think there's also a little bit of it because a lot of us don't start freelancing because they're too scared and i think there's mm -hmm. an in-between here of like you don't have to have it all figured out when you start yeah yeah i mean it it won't go even if you do have it all figured out it won't go how you figured it out <laughs> like, mm -hmm. that's true i mean ideally you would show that plan to somebody that you know who is also a freelancer within the same area and just be yeah. like does this look realistic? <laughs> and yeah, you know, if you want to come and join Elevate, you can show us your plan and we'll we'll very happily look at it and tell you if it looks realistic. But Yep, and support you and cheer you in, on yeah. along the way. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for this fun discussion. And we will see you next time on the Elevate Database Show. Bye. Thanks, thanks guys. Bye.